All right. Well, we're live. Hey, hey, hey Danny. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Scientology and the Leah Remney series on Netflix? Have you watched it? Yeah, I've watched all of it, which you know. So, what do you think of it? Is it good? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really interesting. So Brandon's bringing this up right now because he's slightly making fun of me a little bit because- No, we were just talking about that Melissa is going on a pilgrimage to Clearwater. Oh yeah? Well, you better She's be gonna visit the church. Scientologists. Those are some shady peoples. Shady oh, people. podcast shut down. <laughs> no, I think that- So we have I another documentary to watch. Wait, which documentary? Going Clear. Oh. Yeah, it's an HBO documentary. Who did it? HBO. HBO it's, did it. It's yeah. really, really good. So is HBO anti-Scientology now? Well, or is I mean, it formative. Now, would you would you say that someone who creates a documentary about Scientology is automatically anti-Scientology? A hundred percent. Because I'm sure that you could 100%. find a couple of documentaries out there that are very pro-Scientology. Um, but no, it, going clear doesn't really speak very highly yeah. of Scientology. You can I find pro-Scientology documentaries produced by Golden Era Productions. Which is Sounds owned by Scientology. So, Melissa's very quiet all of a sudden. Gold. Are we making I, you nervous? <laughs> no, no. I, I literally don't know enough about the topic to even comment but I'm sure if my husband was here, he would have a whole slew of things to say. I won't get into it. Like, I'm just like, no, I'm going to go read a book night, you know. It's fascinating. I, I find things like this really interesting because of the layers upon layers upon layers of things that are a part of the organization. So anything, and I don't care if it's Scientology or what it is, but anything that has this process of like pulling back different layers to start exposing levels. And I find that so fascinating because one, like it takes a lot of, um, it takes somebody who's really intelligent to put something like that together and to have the kind of impact that, that it's had. But it also takes up somebody who's like really messed up for that many people to like really anchor on to something. I don't know. I just find it. I, I love murder mysteries too, though. So <laughs> what's the <laughs> Steve like... Jobs quote? The only people crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who actually do it. Yeah, I just find can that go either way here. Yeah. Well, this okay. is a nice little intro back in. We haven't yeah, seen each other or talked to each other in a few weeks. Time. And, I know. and it's right into Scientology. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> something <laughs> happened during the break. Someone someone went clear. <laughs> Somebody went clear. Um, well, welcome back from your Thanksgiving break. It's We've been off a few weeks, heads down, working on all kinds of things. Yeah, we've been busy. Um, really busy. It's been a busy time. I want to just, real quick for today's call, I do want to talk about the Thanksgiving box office real quick as a quick intro, and then springboard that into a topic that we were all uh, an integral part of and what's happening in the movie theater and exhibition space with the Save Our Cinemas uh, project we were on. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just jump in. Uh, the Croods 2 
Thanksgiving weekend did more at the box office opening weekend than Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Wow. Is that a sign of things to come? I think it's very positive. I would hope so. Or, you know, the cruise is just mad popular and I didn't realize. <laughs> I think it just goes to show you, though, that people are hitting hitting a point where families are ready to get back out. Like people just want they want affordable entertainment that isn't in their living room. It's fair. I understand that. That's what movies are. We can't travel yeah. right now. We're confined to like limited activities and limited spaces and something's got to give. So I movie theaters are still, for the most part, pretty much closed and closing around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are still venturing out and finding theaters that are open. Um, getting out on a holiday weekend with family to go see a family movie. I will preface that the original Crudes, released in 2013, did $43 million at the box office opening weekend. <laughs> Great improvement for them. So, Now, did that one go on demand as well? Or is it just in theaters right now? Was it like the same Croods? day? Just yeah. in theaters, I believe. Right? window. I think yeah. it's 17 days, but I'm not, don't quote me on that. Somebody look it up. Don't we have a producer? Oh yeah. I'm all of us. Yeah. We are, we are all, we're all producing. <laughs> we are producing. Wait, what so, am I looking up? I don't know. If Crudes what was two the window? Went. Crudes 2 window. Crudes 2 window for VOD. I'm on it. Did anybody else watch anything exciting over... The holiday break or have has any, have you guys been to a movie theater yet in in michigan no they're still not open they were only open for a few never weeks. got open they were for a few weeks but then they closed quickly after so they're still closed right now yeah basically um, they opened uh second week of october and then it was probably only four or five weeks if that yeah but wonder woman i mean how do we feel about that Anyone have any uh, positive, negative? It seems like the vibe in the industry is positive and that people are going to be showing it and that they're okay with the way that it is opening. And if people don't know who are listening, it's opening on HBO Max and in theaters, same day. Well, uh, to follow up with my production uh, task, it looks like the Crudes 2 should be potentially opening uh, December 13th, VOD. Mm. 17-day window. Mm-hmm. I think that theaters, this is just my opinion, so please push back if you disagree. That's what we're here for. Um, yep. I think that theaters are positive about Wonder Woman right now because they have to be. I don't think they're voluntarily positive. Like I think in a perfect world, movie theaters would be open and Wonder Woman would be across the country on giant screens for people to enjoy. But I think um, I think movie theaters are hurting so badly right now that you can only be positive about getting Wonder Woman on Christmas. Like it's like <laughs> you can't be mad about it because you need it so much. Well, it could have went straight to VOD too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what and I'm also- saying. You can't be mad at it. You can't be mad that you're getting it right now because you need it. You know, you need you need new exciting content that people have been really looking forward to in theaters because theaters are. Yeah, and I think that this also could um, potentially open up that doorway for 
you know, more people to, if they're not ready to go back to a full audience experience, you know, this should hopefully at least give people a reason to go do a private rental or some sort of event for, you know, people that they know. I can't imagine seeing Wonder Woman on my living room TV. Like for the first time, no way. No, like I am not the kind of person that could handle that well, like will handle that well. Um, because one, Wonder Woman is one of those movies where I'm like, I need it on a big screen. I want my seat to be vibrating because it's so loud because I feel like I'm in the action. It's just this larger than life um, genre that I can't imagine just, you know, cranking up on my TV. I feel the same way about a Marvel movie. It, those those are just films that I will always go see them in a movie theater because that's the way they should be seen. Speaking yeah. of the Marvel movie, can I just chime in with, I did not like Thor Ragnarok at all. Wait, what? I, I thought it was bad. I thought it was, Ooh. yeah, I know. People are going to not like me after saying that. I think it's going to show up at your front door. I know. I I don't know why. I just, I don't know if it was too tongue in cheek, like too much humor, but I just... Didn't love, did not love. I'm a huge fan of Taika and I love his humor. I love his playfulness. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit actually... was so good. Do what? Jojo Rabbit was so good. Oh my oh. God, that was so see, good. I didn't like Jojo Rabbit either. I, mean, oh. I, get, I get the uncomfortable feeling. It. I'm like one of those people that's just like, I'm so like, I, I don't know. I love it. I love the irreverence because he, I feel like, so I just said like, I love the irreverence, but I think he's like, he holds like this reverence to what he's doing. So it's okay. Cause I feel safe laughing at his jokes. Like in Jojo, it's normally something like Hitler is not something you joke about, you know, it's just not, it's a, it's a really tough topic. And in that movie, there are things that happen like Jojo's mom, you know, there are things that happen that you're like, Oh, like really give you a gut punch but I feel like it's okay for me to laugh through the film because of the way he's positioned it. Cause you're like, this is so ridiculous, but you are like feeling your way through it because then you start thinking about, well, how else is a kid going to possibly like make any sense of what he's being taught when it comes to, you know, the Holocaust or like what I'm sure kids had to go through and a Hitler led Germany at the time, like, of course they're going to use their imagination. Of course they're going to have issues processing. And like, so showcasing that in a way like he did with Jojo, I thought was so brilliant. Cause I'm like, Oh, like I, I can somehow get it now. Like I can step into that space. So we're going to shift gears since we got our movie, quick movie talk out of the way. And Mm -hmm. Scott, I think you hit on something that's really important. How, how, how do people go safely go see Wonder Woman at Christmas time and what is making the movie theaters that are still open, what's keeping them open and what's making them successful and private auditorium rentals are certainly a part of that. Mm-hmm. So um, this team was fortunate enough to be able to participate in a project that was led by the National Association of Theater Owners called Save Your Cinemas in an effort to become part of the Savior Stages Act. And as a quick follow-up to that, I saw yesterday that Chuck Sch- Senator Chuck Schumer uh, has been applauded by the by NATO for supporting Savior Cinema in the Savior Stages Act. And if you don't know what that is, please take a take a Google and find out how you can support both Savior Stages and Savior Cinema. Uh, 
This is an effort um, led by our trade association to get stimulus for movie theaters. And what we did was um, the Independent Cinema Alliance sent over a video of Save Your Stages um, and just candidly asked what, what I thought of it. So I gave them some real feedback on it um, about the production of it and how I thought we could make something that was really impactful for, for our industry. And we got the opportunity to actually pitch the project to NATO and they greenlit it right away. And in a matter of days, we were out filming in Brooklyn and Maryland and San Jose and Pasadena and in little Granbury, Texas. <clears throat> and we had some great exhibitors that were willing to participate and really share their story. And um, Scott was kind of the forefront of this in pulling all this content together and editing down a piece that was, let's see, we had five different subjects, right, Scott? And we had 45 minutes of footage with each one and we came away with a three minute piece. Yeah. So and there was, what, there was multiple Tell us a cuts. little bit about, yes. There was tell multiple us a little cuts. bit about your experience with it. Well, I mean, it was definitely a challenging experience. I think the first thing that was, uh, uniquely challenging was each of these exhibitors really gave a, a really great backstory about how they got into the industry, why they love it, how it's been affecting them professionally and personally. And the tough thing was being able to cut together a time efficient video um, that didn't feel like it was leaving anything out because these stories were so um, moving in a way. Um, so you had all these different backgrounds of, uh, of exhibitors and how they got into the, into the game. And so it was really sorting through a lot of the, the, the best um, stuff. And unfortunately, like a lot of things that we really wanted to be able to put into it, you know, had to be left on the cutting room floor because there just wasn't time. So we're hoping that eventually we can include some of those, of you know, some more of those interviews here and expand upon them because they really have some, uh, you know, great stories to tell. Yeah. And we've had Paul Gunsky and Rich Dothridge on, on the podcast before to share some of their stories. And it would be great actually to go through and, and bring each one of the, each one of these uh, exhibitors back on. So we talked to Moctezuma Esparza from Maya Cinemas. It's based in Pasadena and they have seven locations, I think 88 screens or something like that. Then we talked to Paul Gunsky of Cinelux theaters up in San Jose. Um, I think they have 57 screens and six locations. We talked to Jeff and Jamie Benson of Synergy Entertainment based in Dallas. Uh, and they have seven locations and I think 77 screens. Rich Dothridge, who has one location, Warehouse Cinemas uh, up in Maryland with 10 screens. And then uh, Emmeline Stewart, who and I'm only doing this going West Coast to East Coast, for whatever reason in my brain. Uh, Emmeline has uh, one screen in one location called Stewart Cinema in Brooklyn, New York. Um, they were great. Mm -hmm. They were all just fascinating people with real stories to share about their experiences, about their love for movies, but also really their love for bringing movies to their communities. 
Yeah, it was it was really, really great. Um, you know, we actually had the opportunity to, you know, uh, talk to uh, Paul Gunsky a few times. Like you said, he's been on the podcast and we recorded a few episodes and we got to kind of be um, a fly in the wall for for those conversations. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a really unique experience uh, getting all of the the different stories and the different backgrounds. Um, but yeah, I really think that the piece came together uh, pretty well. It's been getting a pretty good response too. I think um, what, I think there's over four thousand views at the moment on their YouTube channel. Yeah, on just YouTube, and then it's been shared all over social, LinkedIn. I mean, it's it's literally tens of thousands of views, if not over a hundred thousand. And the impressions are unbelievable. Speaking marketing speak, mm-hmm. and it was played um, distributed throughout. Um, Washington DC to get support for, for this very important inclusion and stimulus. I found a couple things challenging and I'm sure you did too, Scott and Melissa has played referee on several conversations for us. So Melissa, thank you for that. As, as we were vying for, yeah, as we were vying for the piece, you know, anytime you create uh, visual medium like this, it's, you know, the piece kind of that you write, the piece that you film, and then the piece that you edit. So, and in, and in this case, we also had a client, um, NATO, who had a piece that they wanted delivered. Mm-hmm. So that's why the variations. I, f- just from a pure, um, w- the piece that we delivered, which I think is great, very impactful, lots of heart to it, but it is amazing to get those just two or three sound bites out of each person. I mean, we really had to talk through a lot of different things. I mean, the footage that we have in an archive right now, and I mean, literally I was sitting across from Moctezuma and hearing his experiences and, and because he builds theaters in underserved markets, what these theaters mean to to him personally, and those communities. I mean, I, I, literally a couple times we both like were tearing up listening to this. It was it was that impactful. And Paul Gunsky, when we were he was he was talking through something, and I went up to San Jose to film that piece as well. And like I invited his his wife, who's also the CFO, talk about you know a family run business here, and she literally says, "I can't come up. I'm crying." Like that's the, that's the emotion that was driven in Mm -hmm. in those rooms. It was incredible. And I mean, not just in those rooms, but in the room I'm sitting in right now, my little editing bay, like it was a, it was a hard piece to get through. I mean, we're all so personally involved in this industry. Um, And yeah, it was, it was particularly difficult for me mainly because you know i had to dig into my own archive of footage which i also should give a shout out to the people who helped me film some of the stuff you know uh over the years which is um you know some alumni at the motion picture institute of michigan which is where i went to school um some footage that we had shot was shot um from our contacts at screen vision uh so yeah big thanks to those people for uh, helping provide some of that footage back in the day that i was able to now repurpose and uh Put a little emotion emotional connection to but yeah it was it was particularly difficult just because um yeah you can't help 
but go down memory lane, you know, knowing that like that was, you know, my job at one point and, and it's not anymore. And it was really hard to kind of get through a lot of that um, to try to craft a message that would motivate people who were not in this industry to go and take action. Um, you had to kind of, you know, cut your wrists and bleed on the project for a little bit. And that's what I had to do. And, it was tough. And there's, and there's a couple of different people who had to take, who we want to take action. Everybody listening here, certainly um, we want you to reach out to your congressmen and women and, and call and send emails. And then also, you know, it's not the job of our government to pick industries to win or lose. We've got to provide an imp why this industry in particular is important to our country and to our society and to culture without picking winners and losers. And that's what you get a lot of times, especially on the federal level, is that, oh, we don't want to pick winners and losers. But this going to the movies is more important than just, you know, somebody's business. And, mm -hmm. and what was on the line and what is still on the line and what will be on the line in 2021 is for the most part, movie theaters in your town are independent, small and family owned businesses. These are for the most part. Now, the number of locations may be the bigger three or four exhibitors out there, but the number of companies that actually own movie theaters by in large part is independent, small and family owned businesses. This is generational. Uh, these are generational companies and to, to see some of them shudder. And that's why we put so much into this um, and our part. And again, we were, this, this was done as kind of a volunteer production. I mean, certainly production costs were covered, but um, we, we took a lot of this on upon ourselves to, to deliver this. And um, I do want to take a moment, Scott, and thank you for the effort that you put in, uh, the long hours and cutting through this and, and really recognizing that uh, there was a piece you wanted to cut and then there's a piece that we needed to deliver. And you did a phenomenal job. Um, and even though, again, a lot of people don't know the guy behind the curtain, you are the guy behind the curtain. So um, thank you so much. And you did a, just an outstanding job. So congratulations. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Like, it's good to feel like you still have um, energy that you can put forward into a good arena, you know, something that's actually going to do some good. Uh, and so giving me that opportunity was, you know, for me, it gave me, uh, yeah, something good to do with the energy that I, that I had all pent up. Did you feel the pressure of $5 billion? Because <laughs> I did. I did. That's um, pretty much what we were asking. Yeah. And it was, it was funny because when we were doing the interview with, with Paul, you kind of gave him that, that little line of motivation, like, oh, don't worry, Paul, it's only a $5 billion industry on the line. But then I was like, wait, he's only one of five exhibitors <laughs> being questioned and I have to put this together. So it's kind of resting on my shoulders. So oh, thanks for, for, sure. thanks for, you know, uh, really upping the stakes for me. And but as I we, it, I think it helped. As we pull the curtain back a little bit, it's also, again, just the challenges of making the piece. Um, 
yeah, again, we were, we were filming in five different locations um, across the country. Uh, we came back from one shoot um, and footage was completely unusable. So we had to figure out how to go reshoot, which the audio was great and the answers were great. And I don't want to say which piece it was for whoever's listening, but it was literally an unusable segment. So we had to figure out how to get another crew to a remote location and actually, well, this will give it away internally, but so Scott and I were in two different locations and we Zoom directed this thing. So another, not, not only limited budget in the different location, two different locations. I, I think I was, I don't even know where I was that day, but I was traveling that day. I think it was in New York. And then dealing with the pandemic. So all of these factors are going in and we needed to turn this thing in a matter of days. Mm-hmm. So literally we had to, figure it out. And I had Danielle Googling production companies in that area to find, and she helped us secure the, sh- the shooter. Um, this is not hundred percent true. Fun, fun story. Brandon and I were like frantically like Googling together and looking, we ended up calling the same production studio and two different people contacted us each back. And then it wasn't until we like, they, they made a referral one guy. Yeah. One guy was like, Oh, I need to put you in touch with this other person. And then that other person was like, wait a minute. I just talked to somebody. Is this the same thing? And we we're like, wait, did you call? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cause we're both trying to just figure it out on the fly. I think that was a Friday afternoon and we were going to a screening or something. Anyway, um, but so, so that, that's a little bit of the behind the scenes. Scott was there in all the footage you looked at that, that has not made it out publicly. Is there a particular piece of footage that you want to comment on or kind of tell the story of? I mean, not quite. I mean, not, not, not an individual call out. I would say, um, I would say that, uh, you know, all of Aspar, uh, uh, comments were amazing. Um, he's one of those people, maybe you can tell from the few seconds you get to see him in the video that his voice and the way that he speaks just demands your attention. Um, you can tell that he comes from a place of, uh, you know, knowledge and, um, yeah, it just, it, it felt like I wanted to hear every story in the world told you know, through his words, he had, he has a very um, commanding way of speaking. So I definitely would like to uh, expand that interview for sure, because his, um, his whole interview was gold and we only got to use probably like 15 seconds of it. And we've got 40 minutes just sitting in the archive. And so not maybe, that we got lucky because we shot that in Pasadena in October. It was mm-hmm. a beautiful day. We shot it outside at his house. And he, but he's a guy who has been in a fight before. And he's a civil rights activist. He's produced movies. So it was interesting when we set up for that shoot, he was actually more interested in the setup and the production and how we were doing it. And, you know, I gave him, we, we did a quick little pre-production right before we went on and, and he was literally like, I got that part. Like he, like he knows 
when he's when he goes on camera and he was i mean it was all business out when the camera wasn't on it was all business you know yeah, definitely not uh, getting first things set up yeah and and again for something like this and it's great to have a guy like that in our industry because he's fought before i mean like truly fought for things that have mattered and and he believes i think like we all do that movie theaters are something worth fighting for they are they absolutely are so i guess we got a, a few minutes left here um so one thing that I, I really liked hearing about his story in in particular was you know he he gave a little bit of um you know background to his film production career you know he'd worked on uh selena um, and what was the other Robert Redford picture they had worked on? I forget. He 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 said it. Um, but anyways, when they were looking around for uh, markets to screen it, that's when he realized that there were a bunch of you know underserved communities that just didn't even have first run movie theaters or second run movie theaters. And so that's when he realized that this was yeah an untapped market. And he he got his heels in and has been able to make a really big impact in those communities that they serve. So yeah, it just goes to show that um, I think it, it kind of goes to show that while we all come from exhibition, we all still, it also comes from that origination of we all just love movies. And that's his story. He started in the movies and then got into exhibition. Um, you know, I think we all kind of have, you know, similar paths, maybe, of how we got here. The one thing yeah, I for wanted sure. to chime in with about this video was that I did share it with, you know, on my social media. And there's a lot of people who don't work in this industry that don't understand that most movie theater chains, again, maybe not the bigs, are family owned. And I felt like it was a good opportunity to let people know that, these are family owned businesses that have maybe been in families for hundreds of years or even less and how important they are to the communities. And I felt like that was just such a huge piece of this. And I felt that emotion when I watched it, but yeah, for the behind the curtain for people who don't know, don't shoot video. Yeah. What do you shoot? Like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 hours of video for a minute sometimes for these. It depends. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of these, you know, we would get one take answers and not really, um, nurse it the way that you would if you were running a real documentary crew or something. But yeah, we, we got, we've got a whole backlog of footage that I'm excited to, to release through this channel because I think these stories absolutely need to be told. But I think since we are running out of time here, why don't we, um, I'll just put the video right on the end of this uh, podcast. So if you haven't seen the Savior Cinema video, we will include it right here. Um, you can take a little bit of time and go to saveyourcinema.com and they will re basically reach out and send a drafted email to your specific congressperson on your behalf uh, to save your cinema. And if you're listening and not watching this, we'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. All right. Well, here thanks it is. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Great job, y'all. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening. <laughs>